Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years when there was plenty in the land of Egypt and stored up food in the cities. He stored up in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, Joseph had two sons, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Or, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it the was The Lord very is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes Fear me not, lie down. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. We know that in everything, God works for good with those May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Well, the NFL football season is almost over. We have two games today and then the Super Bowl and we are done. Some of us are really sad to see the season end and others can hardly wait for it to end. You know, I, I was watching on the last game of the, the last end of the season weekend. And one of the games that I was watching before the playoffs started was the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing the Baltimore Ravens. And I was watching the game because... Mason Rudolph was the quarterback for the Steelers. Now, Mason Rudolph, you'll remember he was the quarterback for Oklahoma State University back in 2014 to 2017. And from all that I've been able to tell, all that I've been able to read, people I talk to, it seems like Mason Rudolph is the real deal. He is a person who is very competitive works hard, but is compassionate and kind. He's a person of faith. No, he seems to be the real deal. 
And I like rooting for people like that. And so I, I wanted to see him playing with the Steelers. You'll remember in 2018, he was drafted by the Steelers when he left OSU. And he was playing backup quarterback now behind Ben Roethlisberger. That year in 2018, he didn't play in a single game. He didn't take a single snap. 2019, second game of the season, Ben got hurt, and he was the backup quarterback, and so he stepped in. And he played a whole lot that season. And he had some really good games, and he had some not-so-good games. It's kind of an up-and-down sort of a year. Well, in 2020, Ben Roethlisberger was back. He was now backup quarterback. In 2020, he played in one game. In 2021, he played in one game. In 2022, he didn't play in a single game. In 2023, he hadn't played the whole season until with three games left to go, the quarterback got hurt, the starting quarterback. He was the backup, and he then stepped in. And Mason Rudolph suddenly played lights out. He was incredible. The Steelers had been struggling, trying to see if they could even get over 500 for the season. And suddenly, with Mason playing, they beat the Colts and then the Seahawks and then the Ravens against the Ravens. He was incredible. It was so much fun to watch. I mean, this guy was super. And so everybody suddenly is talking about Mason Rudolph. Man, he's the future for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is this where they're going to go? It was a big deal. It's so fun to see him do so well. And after that last game, there was a reporter. She was talking to Mason about the game and the season. And she, she asked a fair question. She said, do you ever get a little frustrated? Are you a little angry? When you look back over the season and you think, coach, why didn't you see my talent so much earlier? Didn't have to just sit on the bench all year long. And Mason Rudolph said, no, I've been trying to grow and learn. I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Wow. When you talk to his colleagues, his fellow players, they would all say, during all this time, Mason has never been someone to just be upset, angry, frustrated, because he's not getting his opportunity. Through all of this time, he keeps trying to grow and get better. And he is so grateful to be here. I thought that's the story of Joseph. To work, to get better, to be grateful, till you get your opportunity. This morning, I want to continue on with our sermon series that we're looking at a year in the Bible. We're reading the Bible together as we've been talking about. And so we've been looking at a few of the highlights, people that there's important things to learn from, Adam and Eve, Abraham, last week Jacob, this week Joseph. The story of Joseph is a significant story. We give him 13 chapters. 13 chapters is an enormous amount in the Bible to any one person's story. It tells you 
Joseph is a significant person in the history of Israel. Thirteen chapters and such great stories. You remember it said that Joseph was 17 years old. His father had given him a coat of many colors because he was his favorite. Jacob showed favoritism, not a good thing to do. The brothers felt jealous. And so it was one day they took Joseph and sold him to the Midianites, to slavery, to go into Egypt. They took that pretty coat, put blood on it, took it back to Jacob and said, wild animals ate your son. Joseph wound up in Egypt and there the Midianites sold him to Potiphar, who was a captain in the Egyptian army. Joseph went to work for Potiphar and it says, suddenly everything in the household began to go better. The household did incredibly well. And Joseph soon was in charge of the whole household. But then Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and she started making passes at him. And he rejected her. And she felt rejected. And so then she made accusations against him. And Potiphar was angry and threw Joseph into jail. Now he finds himself in jail but again, the jail begins to improve and do better and better once Joseph is there till it says the jailer finally said, let's make Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners. And now things are going well in jail until two more prisoners show up. One happens to be the cupbearer, the Pharaoh, and the other winds up being the baker for the Pharaoh. They both have been cast into jail and both have had a strange dream. And Joseph said, tell me your dream. And the cupbearer tells him his dream. And Joseph says, well, what that means is in three days, the Pharaoh is going to remember you and restore you to your job. The baker was going, wow, I like the outcome of that dream. Let me tell you my dream. And Pharaoh said, and Joseph said, well, what your dream means is in three days, the Pharaoh will remember you and he's going to hang you. And sure enough, exactly as Joseph interpreted the dreams, that's what happened. The baker is hanged and the cupbearer is restored to his job. When he leaves, Joseph says, be sure and remember me. He does not. Two years go by. Two years go by and now the Pharaoh has a dream. There are seven fat calves that come up out of the Jordan River. And then seven calves that are gaunt and thin and they eat the fat calves and they're still gaunt and thin. There are seven um, buds of grain that come up out of the Jordan plump and full and then seven buds of grain that come out that are very thin and they eat that big grain and they're still thin. And the Pharaoh has no idea what these dreams mean and now the cupbearer says, I remember this guy in prison named Joseph. And they bring Joseph now to the palace. That's where we started our scripture lesson today. Joseph now comes. He's interpreted the dreams. He tells Pharaoh, we're going to have seven really good years of harvest, seven years of famine. What I really think we ought to do, Pharaoh, is we need to collect all the grain during the good times. And then when we come to hard times, We'll all eat and have grain to sell. And the Pharaoh said, what a great idea. Why don't I put you in charge of running that program? You're second to the Pharaoh. 
So we start today and it says, Now Joseph was 30 years old as he began to go out through Egypt. Okay, what I want you to think about is he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He's now 30 years old when he enters the service to Pharaoh. It's been 13 years. When you're reading the story, you're going through your Bible, you'll read the story of Potiphar and then the story of prison. Both of them happen very quickly in one chapter and they cover 13 years of his life. It's important we understand what Joseph was in a period of waiting, a period where he was in prison, and it went on for 13 years. We all have those periods in life, those times where you're in a period of waiting. You don't like where you are. You can feel trapped in prison. You're sitting on the bench. And you don't know how long that time is going to go by. What do you do in those times of your life? That's what I want us to think about this morning as we look at the story of Joseph. And I think there's three things to see. First of all, it really is about doing your best and living in this moment. Though you may be waiting for something different and more, you do your best and live in this moment. That's what Joseph did. Joseph didn't want to be in Egypt working for Potiphar. But he obviously gave his best because it said everything began to flourish and he soon was in charge of all the household. He's in prison and it says soon he was now in charge of all of the prisoners. Joseph didn't want to be in Egypt and at all, much less for Potiphar or prison to give your best in that moment as Joseph was hoping and dreaming and praying that God would use him for something more. Do you pray God can use you for something more and yet you still give your best to be growing today? You know, right now over in England, we've been hearing a whole lot about King Charles and his health and Princess Kate and her health and hearing all about the royals right now. It made me start thinking about King Charles' grandfather, uh, King George VI. You may remember King George VI, some of the history, born in, 19, in 1895. It turned out that he was growing up Prince Albert. And being a prince doesn't always mean life is easy because the nannies take care of you. And the nannies were mean to Prince Albert. And quite often he didn't have enough food and was always being punished. And things happened to him and he began to stutter. And it was a serious problem. And as a young man, he's now growing up and he is truly having a hard time communicating. He is a stutterer. And finally at 28 years old, he gets married to Elizabeth he has an older brother, Edward, and he knows that since he's the second born, it is his older brother who will one day be king of England. He will succeed after George V passes away, their dad. 
And Albert will always be resigned to do things like go over and open up a new park, cut the ribbon at a shopping mall, dedicate a new statue. Those are the kinds of things that he's going to be doing. But if you've ever watched the movie King's Speech, it came out a number of years ago now, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. When it came out, it kind of tells you the story of what happens, how we find out that Albert now is working to get over his stuttering. He finds a man named Lionel Luge, who is from Australia. Lionel Luge is someone a little unorthodox in what he's doing, but Albert is getting better. And then Edward ascends to the throne, but he now wants to marry Wallace Simpson, an American who is divorced, and she's now getting a second divorce from her husband to marry him. And the head of the Church of England says, you're not going to be head of the Church of England if you're marrying an American divorcee twice. No. And he says, then I'll abdicate the throne so I can get married. And he does. And suddenly, Albert is going to be king of England. You're seeing how he's now struggling to be able to speak and get as much as he can and learn how to do this. I started doing some research about George VI outside the movie. And one of the things that I learned was he really did come to power and it was within a few years they had to struggle against the Nazis. And George VI really did rise up and inspire his nation. As many people were all trying to flee and get out of London to be safe, those of wealth or power, he said, the people cannot leave London. I'm not going to leave London. And he stayed in Buckingham Palace, and it was bombed nine times. The people of London had to ration their water and their food. He said, we will ration our water and food. Eleanor Roosevelt went over to go see him during the war and was stunned at how little they had. He said, I will be with my people. After the invasion at Normandy, 10 days after the invasion, he was on the beaches of Normandy. He was in the munitions factory inspiring the people. He really rose to the occasion and became a great king in the history of England. And he began to speak and speak so well, he really had improved. Now, when you watch the movie, this all kind of happens real quickly. Learning to speak, brother abdicates, you take the throne, you fight the Nazis. In real life, that happened over a period of a number of years. Actually, in 1926, he started learning how to write with his stuttering. Ten years before his brother would abdicate the throne. And then it'd be several more years before they had to fight the Nazis. But what I loved about the fact of that was Albert was striving to be the best that he could and deal with his struggles when he thought that all he would ever do is open parks and shopping malls and dedicate statues. But because he did his best, in those years of waiting, he was ready when that moment of opportunity came to rise up and have great meaning in his life. 
we all find ourselves in the time of waiting where you may feel trapped. You can't get things to change. You're sitting on the bench. Those are the moments to give your best. Secondly, when we give our best, we then also trust God with our lives, that God will give our lives meaning, that God provides the opportunities for our lives to have meaning. You trust. You know, sometimes you and I have things that we can't control, we can't change, we can't make happen. Our responsibility is to be faithful to do the best we can and to put it into God's hands. That's exactly what Joseph did. You and I know the end of the story. Joseph didn't. He didn't know how long he's going to be working for Potiphar. He didn't know how long he's going to be in prison. Thirteen years will go by. And yet we don't find him bitter or angry at the circumstances, what we find him is in a right spirit so that when the opportunity comes, he's ready to hear God speak. Can you take your life when it isn't going the way you plan and you feel like you're in waiting and give your best and you put your life and trust it in God's hands? You know, I, I love the fact that we in the United States are going back to the moon. You know, growing up in the 60s and living in Houston, I'm a great fan of space and the moon pro project, and finally we're going back. We, here we had such a great time in the 60s and a little in the 70s, and then it all came to an end. And now we're going back. We're saying in 2025, we will land people on the moon again. And it will be people, not just men, but this time women as well. How exciting that is going to be. And, you know, watching what we're doing, we're, we're doing it so that we can learn how to live in outer space on the moon, so we're ready to build a base camp to go to Mars. That's the ultimate goal. Can we go to Mars? And so we're also learning right now all about Mars so that as we go to the moon, we're prepared to continue on into space. It was just about uh, six years ago, or five years ago, we had a a significant moment when NASA shot the InSight lander to Mars. It was on May the 5th, back in uh, um, 2018, that we blasted off, and we were sending this lander. It was kind of like a really its own little uh, science lab to land there on Mars. And it was going to tell us the thickness of the crust. It's going to tell us what the inside of Mars was made of. It's going to tell us about the weather conditions. It's going to tell us all kinds of things for two years. And so it was a very significant experiment. They spent $800 million preparing the InSight lander for Mars. Now, when we blasted off on May the 5th, the lander would travel at speeds of 12,000 miles an hour. And it'd do that for six months. For six months, it would be traveling through the darkness of outer space, 91 million miles away. Now, that's incredible. 
and you just start wrapping your mind around this, we're traveling 12,000 miles an hour all the way into outer space, 91 million miles to get to Mars. Now, when you get to Mars, you got to slow this thing down. You got to slow it down. And then when you come to the atmosphere and begin to have entry, you know, you, you have to fire retro rockets and then you got to turn it around with a heat shield. The landing legs have to come down. Actually, when you get to Mars, 1,000 things have to happen in sequence to be able to land on the surface. And all of that will happen in seven minutes. It's known as seven minutes of terror. Because you have worked all these years, spent $800 million, and now you're going to travel 91 million miles. And in seven minutes, a thousand things will happen sequenced. And if all of them work and go right, you'll have a successful touchdown. That was November the 26th, 2018. It was on TV. It was on the big screens in New York uh, City in Times Square. People were watching it in Times Square, television, around the world. I remember watching it very well. And, and so they're talking and you're hearing the things. They start getting the signals back. It's slowing down and this is happening and that's happening. How many feet now down to the surface? The people there at Mission Control, I mean, they're so anxious waiting. The seven minutes of terror. There's really nothing you can do at this point. And finally, there's silence. And then there's communication. It had landed, touchdown. And the people go wild. They're just going crazy. They are celebrating. And I mean, it was so exciting to think, what had we just accomplished? And then it hit me. When you send a radio signal from Mars back to Earth, it takes eight minutes to get here. So when they received the signal that it was starting to begin its descent for the next seven minutes, the truth of the matter is, it was already over. It took eight minutes to get that signal that ah, we're now finally here for reentry. Actually, it's already done. Not a thing you can do to change it. It's already done. I don't feel like your life has determined what will happen, but I do believe there comes those times when you give your best, you do all that you can do, and you can do nothing more. And those are the times you put it into God's hands and you trust. And maybe it works the way you hoped and maybe it doesn't. You still live in a spirit of hope because you're putting your life in God's hands and you trust. It was Joseph there with Potiphar and then in prison. He didn't know how long he was going to be there. He was determined to do his best and to continue to trust that one day God would use him as a part of the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph to help them have the promised land, to have a future for this family of faith that God was creating. One day, 
You trust. And so third, it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, I choose to stick with love. I've decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. You know, we just celebrated Martin Luther King's birthday a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if you saw in the news just last week, his youngest son, Dexter King, died. Dexter King, uh, Martin Luther King's son, was only 62 years old. He had pancreatic cancer. And, you know, they had interviewed Dexter as he was, as he's living as an adult. And he would talk about how when he was a child, seven years old, he was watching TV. And that's how we learned his father had been killed. He was too young. He was just a baby when some of the worst things were going on in the civil rights movement. He wouldn't really be able to remember them firsthand, though he would hear about them and learn. September the 15th, 1963, there was a 16th Street bombing at the, at the 16th Street Baptist Church. You may remember when it happened. So horrible. Sunday morning. It's where people would gather in Birmingham, Alabama, people who were involved in the civil rights movement, trying to dream, what do we do next? What do we do next? So the Ku Klux Klan planted a bomb under the steps of 16th Street Baptist Church. And it was 10.22 in the morning. People were moving from Sunday school to worship. There were 26 girls who were going to be singing. They were going down into the basement to put on their robes to come up to the choir loft to sing when the bomb went off. So many children were hurt, but four little girls were killed, ages of 11 to 14 years old. Four children lost their lives because there was so much hatred and because of the color of their skin. Do you know the sermon title that day? The Love That Forgives. They had to preach that a lot at 16th Street Baptist Church because of all the things that were happening to them, all the hate they received. It was so easy to want vengeance and to get even. And so they talked about that all the time. The Love That Forgives. That day, four little girls died. Blew out all the stained glass windows in the church. The only stained glass window that survived was one of showing Jesus leading the children. Such a difficult time in our history. And it's Martin Luther King who worked so hard to say, we're not going to respond with hatred. We're not going to respond violence for violence. I've decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. This is not the way Jesus would do it. And it's what kept him prepared for these moments. For Joseph, it sure would have been easy to be filled with anger at his brothers, what they did to him. He was very happy at home. Now he was a slave for Potiphar and then in jail. 
it had been easy to be very hateful towards Potiphar's wife. No, he's now been in jail. Now he is struggling. 13 years have gone by. And in our scripture lesson, we pick up. And now he's a whole different person, a new place in his life, working for the Pharaoh. I believe it's because he didn't choose, he chose not to be filled with hatred that he was able to hear God speak and interpret the dreams and seize this new moment that came his way. Seven years would go by, the lime of plenty. They're collecting all this food. He now gets married. He has two children. He's saying, I'm forgetting my problems back home. I'm flourishing in the land of my affliction. If seven years has gone by, it's now been 20 years. 20 years has gone by, and now the famine sets in, and the world is becoming hungry. And who should show up right before him? His brothers. They don't recognize him. It's been 20 years. Joseph recognizes them. And what does he want? Does he want to demand vengeance, justice, get even? Go back and read the story. It's so great. To watch Joseph actually toy with his brothers, he does kind of yank their chain a little bit. He kind of has a good time with them, kind of doing this and then doing that and doing this. But in the end, he reveals himself to them and begins to cry. He throws himself on their neck and they cry and they're scared to death. Joseph's now the person of power. They know he's going to want to get even. He's going to want justice. After what they did to him, they know they're in trouble. And I love the line where it says, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. That's what God can do in our lives. You may find yourself trapped or feeling in prison, a time of waiting, sitting on the bench. But if you and I will work hard for our best, trust God, and refuse to give in to hatred and prejudice, then I believe God provides you those moments that are meaningful in your life. They come. If you and I refuse to get angry and full of hate, if we too can say, I've decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.